Welcome into Gordon Hayward of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Gordon, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Of course. I mean, the the last time I had you on, Gordon, it was it was a far different setting. We were in San Diego at your house right after 2017 free agency. I remember driving down the the coast from LA. That was a pretty good setting. You you still keep that place there? You know what? We actually had to get rid of it. Um, it was one of my favorite places to be. But when you're all the way across the country in Boston with little kids, the six-hour flight back to San Diego. I mean, it's like exact opposite parts of the country. Yeah, so we no, just it is. couldn't make it out there anymore. It is. Well, it, it, it was a great setting. And um, let's start here, Gordon. I mean, th- this team, 12 and 13 in the East, you're, you're sixth place. And, and the kind of season you've had so far, 22.9 points a game. You're shooting almost 50% from the field, 42.5 from three, five and a half rebounds, uh, 86% from the free throw line. And you have been at the center of all of this Charlotte success this year. Uh, this, this is a legitimate Eastern Conference uh, all-star candidacy. And it's funny when when you left Utah for Boston, I think the thought was, well, the East might open up some opportunities to get on some more all-star teams. You had gotten there in 2017, but this is your best, I think this is your best opportunity since you've come East to, to get on a team. Um, is, is this the role? Is this what you imagined, Gordon, when, when you made the decision to, to go down to Charlotte? Yeah, you know, I think... Uh, making the decision to go down was was kind of like a challenge for myself. Um, I think the opportunity to try to go to a young team with talented players to try to kind of help them get to that next level was was something that I was really looking forward to. And, um, you know, I, I think that since being injured in Boston, I feel like I've worked extremely hard to try to get back to the player that I know that I could be and felt like being in Charlotte was a chance. And like I said, a challenge to kind of get back to that player. Yeah. And, and of all what you've done this year, I do think you could help your all-star candidacy, Gordon. Uh, if you could get on one, if you could get on the receiving end of one of those LaMelo ball lobs, I think it, <laughs> I think it might impact your candidacy. Have you, have you, have you Man, tried? You know, though, Miles is so high in the air when he does, he jumps so quick too. They got it. They got it down pat. Man, it's fun to watch those two with their connections. And Melo certainly is a player that is, I think, ultra talented and just has a great feel for for the game. No, it's been and it's been interesting to see how, and I will talk about that, how James Borrego has brought him along. And I think, but your presence there, Gordon, there had to be a part of you when you were making this decision. Do I opt in? Do I opt out? Do I leave? Or where do I leave for? Was that you wanted to be playing the role you are playing. And in Boston, you were going to play a complementary role to Jason Tatum and now Jalen Brown. And certainly earlier in your career, as those two were elevating, Kyrie was there. Al Horford was still a very formidable player um, at that time. It wasn't necessarily the plan when he went to Boston, but it's how it worked out, especially after losing the year to the injury. But, but how much of it for you, Gordon, was, and I talked to James Borrego about this, where he said, you know what, I want to take that on again. And I believe I can still be the guy who's doing what you're doing now. What, how much of that was your thought process 
uh, in leaving and going to Charlotte? Yeah, I, that 100% played a role into what I was thinking. I, I, you know, I felt like I could still be that person and felt like going to Charlotte, I would certainly have more responsibility and something that I, you know, I think I wanted to try to maximize who I was as a basketball player again. And, um, you know, after talking with, with Borrego, talking with some of the other coaches, um, talking with the front office, it, it just more and more and more and more felt like, man, this is, this is what I want to do. Early in January, Gordon, you play in Philadelphia. You play the Sixers back-to-back. You lose both. The team goes to two and five. You've got Ben Simmons all over you in those games who can defend defends the position as well as anybody in the league. And you get down to Atlanta, and I was told kind of in the pregame, your co- head coach essentially says to you, says to the team, we are playing through that guy. We are going through that guy. That's where the ball's going. That's where our offense is going. You put up 44 that night. It starts a tear, you, uh, an offensive tear for you across that month. You remember that in the locker room in the pregame uh, because it felt like your season turned a little bit there. Uh, yeah, I do. I do remember it vaguely. I mean, it was one of those things where we had, uh, like you said, lost a couple games in a row. You know, Philadelphia is a tremendous team and certainly – not a great matchup for us. Um, we're a little smaller across the line and, and with the way Embiid is playing and Simmons. And I think it was one of those games where we felt like we, we really need this game against Atlanta. And, uh, you know, coach said, let's, let's go through G tonight. Um, see if we can get him some more touches. And so I just wanted to go out and be super aggressive. Um, I feel like when I'm, when I play aggressively out on the court, um, even if it's not just for, for my own, shots I'm able to open things up for other people but it kind of gets gets the ball rolling for our team too so uh, that was that was a tremendous win and a game that was a lot of fun to play in too playing in this pandemic Gordon and and Charlotte's a great it's been a great NBA city it's got you know when the team is good um, and even when the team has struggled people come out they support it it's a great environment having played in the bubble last year and then through it now um, and there's there's spotty fans in some places, um, in, in different places around the league. Even, I think, where there are fans, it still doesn't feel – you don't have an arena that erupts. Right. What has what it been like? And, and have you gotten so used to it now that you almost – I don't want to say forget what it's like to play with fans, but it feels like it's been a long time. I mean, I think it's going to be a little eye-opening when we play in front of fans again for everybody because it's just so different out on the court. I mean, it's even, it's even more different than it was in the bubble. Um, I thought, I thought in the bubble, they did a really good job of kind of making it like, it was kind of so compact, like everything was um, kind of smaller. So the vibe with there was different too, with, with the way they did the sound and, you know, you had the, like the glass or plastic panels on the left too. I don't know. It felt, it felt different in the bubble than it feels in these arenas. These arenas are huge, right? And um, most of them, you know, you still, you're just seeing empty seats. And so it just is, I I think we are getting a little bit used to it now, but it's, it's, it's just not the same. It certainly is not the same when, when the game's on the line, you know, when, you get a big stop or a big block or, you know, LaMelo to Miles for a big oop. The crowd would go, wow, that's an immediate T timeout. And, you know, it just it isn't the same. It's weird, honestly. Yeah, it felt like the bubble. I almost felt like 
in watching games and walking. I remember initially walking into it. And as you watch games, I always felt like we were on some movie set and it was like a soundstage. And we, except there's the best players in the world. Or like, I remember sometimes I felt like, I feel like I, like I'm on a spaceship somewhere and we're just, you got the lights, the music, the sound, the players, but you look around the corner and it's, there's nothing there. There's nobody here. Same 30 or 40 people in the building for every game. But you're right. The building was built. The buildings there were so small. It felt like it. it, it like stage. You're right. It was just like the whole thing was staged and kind of just you're, you're there to play basketball. You show up an hour and a half before the game. You leave five minutes after the game. Whether you win or lose, the crowd is noise is the same afterwards. You know, walking walking into the, the court, walking off the court, all that stuff that is so much different in actual NBA arenas. You know, and entering the arena, um, you have your whole the, you know the home crowd goes crazy for you when you exit the arena on a big win. Everyone's cheering. You don't really get that. No, and it's right, and so, um, but for you. You had come into the bubble last year. You were playing really, really well and and extremely efficient in your role in Boston. And I think played a I think a really good first game there. Then you get the ankle injury and you got to leave and come back. And you guys get eliminated. You try to play. You you had I think you had a good first game back, and then you sort of you you just. As you know, it's hard to walk back into the playoffs when everyone's playing at that speed and you've been away from it. Should you have gone back and looking back, should you have played? Do, do you wish? Because you end up taking all the heat for playing. But you resp- I think you felt it's my responsibility to get back out there. Uh, should you have gone out and played looking back at it? It's a tough question. You know, physically, from a health standpoint, absolutely not. Um, I had no business being out there on the court at all. Um, my injury was, I think a lot more severe than people understood. I mean, I literally, when I got back to the bubble, I hadn't even run yet. Um, so we were, you know, you have to quarantine too. So then you, you have to take off like six or seven days of rehab because I'm just in a hotel room and I, you know, they had a nice setup for the, you know, with, with different things in there for me to do individually rehab, but there's no way, that I'm going to do as good a job as anybody else. And then they give you, you know, they give me 30 minutes outside, I think on day four. And that was like the first time that I really started jogging. So I'm like jogging for the first time. And then, um, as you know, in a basketball game, you can't just jog in a straight line forward. Like you're constantly moving, changing speeds, directions. So, I mean, it was something, like I said, from a health standpoint, I probably shouldn't have played. I think from a team standpoint, I was just trying to, kind of provide some sort of inspiration for the guys. Like I'm coming back, like here, here we are, we can still do this. Um, I, I gave it my best, you know, unfortunately we, we lost and obviously disappointed with how that ended. I felt like as a team, we were playing really well heading into the playoffs there and, you know, inju- injuries happen and there's not much that you can do about that. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. 
but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Gordon, going back to the injury on opening night in 2017 and the tremendous rehab that goes into play, and then once you do come back, getting your timing and your confidence back, and and sometimes that takes a whole nother year, how much more in tune do you become with your body and what you're able to do and knowing your body? Uh, You had been, I think, played a pretty relatively injury-free career going back, how does that injury like that, even when you're past that injury and then you have something else come up like last year, does it change the way you think or does it change your, your knowledge of your instincts about what you should do, what you shouldn't do? Um, you mean like in terms of making a decision about, should I do this? Like I know, I know when I'm ready, I've went through this in a significant way and I know when I'm not ready. And maybe I shouldn't yeah. be out there. I think certainly you you understand what your body is capable of a little bit more. But I, I kind of think you know all bets are off in the playoffs. Like you know you're you're that's one of those things where you're trying to do whatever you can to give your team whatever whatever you can give them. Um, you know I, I knew that I wasn't right. You know, I could, I could just feel it. Like I said, I, going into it, it was one of those things where I, I could barely, I just started to run. So, I mean, it was something that I, that I knew, you know, I'm not a hundred percent, but it's one of those things where in the playoffs, you got to just give what you can. That season ends Gordon and you go into this really strange period of, I've got a year left. I can opt out of my contract. I can opt in. Uh, I can go into free agency, although there aren't, not everybody I would go to has cap space, so they have to work out a sign and trade. I remember in 2017 when we sat down and talked about your free agency then, I think we spent like an hour and five minutes largely on like a five-day window where you went through it and the whole process, and it was kind of very much a straight line. You met with, you know, you met with Boston, you met with Miami. You uh, obviously met again with Utah. Everybody had cap space. Everybody could sign you. You walked right in wherever it was. It was ready-made, and you made a decision. How diametrically different was this offseason in moving teams from what you experienced when you did leave Utah and went to Boston? Yeah, it was completely different. Um, Everything from the amount of time that you have. um, You know, we were told in the bubble this season – and, and you probably know better than everybody. We were told in the bubble that it wouldn't start till end of January, middle of January, end of January. And then, then you start hearing rumblings like, well, maybe it's going to be before Christmas, um, which only makes, you know, the free agency seem even quicker. Um, and so at the same time, I'm trying to still rehab from that ankle injury from the bubble, um, then trying to figure out, uh, with Mark, I mean, this is this is really why you, you pay your agent. Um, your agent, to, Mark Barlstein. Yeah. yeah, Mark Barlstein, be able to handle situations like this because, um, you know, I think 
I can't remember the timing exactly, but it's like free agency hits and it was like, what was it like 10 or 12 days from when mm-hmm. you know, training camp started. So you have to then um, talk with teams, figure out, uh, I had to figure out if I wanted to opt out, what I was going to do there. Um, then, then get on the phone and you're doing zoom calls and um, calls with different teams and front offices trying to figure out, you know, what's the best place for me and my family. And um, at the same time, I, I had just had, you know, my first, son um so we have a baby boy and you know we're trying to figure out all right well we're gonna have 10 days to move across the country i've got three other little girls and a family to move how is this gonna work what are we gonna do with this where the girls are in school what are we gonna do with that we gotta move schools are they gonna be able to move schools where where and how are we gonna move we gotta find a house um and so it it really was just a, a whirlwind um and Something that, you know, I wouldn't have ever expected that's how it would go. But then again, this is a global pandemic we're in. So it's everything has been different in in these years. And and when you describe it that way, Gordon, the thought might have been given all this uncertainty and all this upheaval in our life. We've got a new baby. Where do we live? How do we go? Why don't we just opt in? Why don't we just opt in, play another year in Boston at that point? Uh, thirty-four million dollar number, and then I'll go into free agency next year. I mean, that that was the easy way to do it, right? Um, that was certainly an option, and and a very good option, I think. And that's you know, talking with Mark, it was one of those things where he and I felt like there was other opportunities out there. Let's explore these opportunities, and uh, at the end of the day, we felt like the other opportunities were our best bet. When you look back, Gordon, on when you went to Boston and the decision to go there at the time, even with Donovan Mitchell coming into Utah, you didn't know, nobody knew that they had drafted a a star player. Uh, It's summer league. He's played very well initially, but a lot of young players play well at summer league. You don't necessarily know what what's there. When you went to Boston and made the decision, you imagined in Boston with at the time, Kyrie Irving and 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 that team that was Danny Ainge was had put together. You imagine what? You imagine the next. This is where I'm going for the rest of my career. Uh, Brad Stevens, your college coach, is obviously well entrenched in there. He's going to be there. Did it feel like you had decided on the Celtics and this? That's where you would write it out. That that's how this would play out. Absolutely. I'm not somebody that likes a lot of change or likes moving from city to city or team to team. Um, you know, we were making a decision for me to play my basketball career out. And um, at the time, actually, I don't know if you recall, um, I had signed in Boston and th- they still had uh, Isaiah Thomas. And so it would have been IT with me. That's right. Al. It was IT. And, That's um, right. Kyrie was on the way. Jake yep. Crowder, Avery Bradley. I mean, there was still, it was, it was kind of a different team when I signed there. Um, but certainly, you know, with, with Brad and I felt like this is going to be the, you know, this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my career. When you went through Gordon, the first, you, you, you get injured off the bat and you're out. And then the second season, and we've seen this with so many players who had injuries like you did. Sometimes it takes that whole season and whatever, whether there was grumbling going on within the team, could you feel like because people wanted to put it on you that, well, 
you're Brad's guy. You played for Brad in college and somehow Brad like treated you differently than he might another player because I don't know, somehow this was like some rec league somewhere where, you know, somebody's father was coaching. I mean, it's the NBA, a head coach is going to put the team on the floor. Um, I, I don't know that it works that way, but it could be, it was framed that way at times when they were allowing you to play through, you had to play through, I think the, um, go through the process of, of getting your timing back and getting your confidence back and you do it by playing, but there are going to be difficult nights. There were difficult nights that year. I know it's talked about out there. Did you feel it at times? Did you feel frustration around you that you, you were kind of up against that perception, whether it was with your teammates, others around there? Not really. I didn't feel anything, you know, uh, from different guys around the locker room. I think probably more than anything was the, the outside media, um, maybe what, what guys had said to the outside media. I think the whole the situation as a whole with our team there was just, um, I think it's just a difficult situation. You know, you had both me and Kyrie coming back from injuries at the same time. We had probably what four or five, maybe even six six guys that you know are really really talented players that use that can use the ball and have high usage and feel like you know they should be the ones with the ball. Um, we just had extremely talented team and didn't have much time to kind of gel or build any sort of chemistry. Um, the first time that I played during that year, like five on five, was was in that September training camp. Um, just because I had to get a second surgery to remove some of the um, stuff that was put in my ankle. So it kind of set me back a little bit. So I wasn't able to play. So there was just a lot of things that went on. Um, you know, I do, I, I don't quite understand how people could say that uh, coach Brad treated me, you know, I guess differently. Um, I mean, I came off the bench basically the whole year, probably had the lowest amount of usage that I'd had, you know, since my second or third year in the NBA, um, played the least amount of minutes. I mean, there was, so I don't know how any of that was justified. Um, certainly for me, I was just trying to, uh, like you said, build some confidence back, um, you know, just trying to help us win basketball games, certainly had a lesser role that year, um, but just doing my best. You know, I, I don't ever read media good or bad. And so, I was more focused on just how can I continue to get better. And I think more than anything with our team, it was just like frustrations. Like we, like we're looking around the room at all the talent that we have. And it's like, man, we should be, we should be way better than how we're playing and how we're performing. Um, so I think that was the frustration that I felt um, from everybody was like, just we should be winning more games. Why did that team. And listen, you described some of it. You're coming off an injury. Kyrie's coming back. But there was a great deal of talent. And you also had younger guys who wanted bigger roles, who wanted to be able to do more, who've shown certainly they could do more. You've got you know veterans like yourself who came there to play this prominent role. Was that as difficult as anything was trying to balance? I don't know if agendas is the word, but what everybody wanted out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what I was, was saying. As we, as we, everyone looked at our team and on paper, it's like, man, this team – probably has the most talent in the league just when you go down the line. Um, and it was what you said too. We, we just had a lot going on individually for all of us. And I don't think that much time 
to collectively put it all together. And now you're trying to basically go through that as the year gets going. And, um, you know, it was certainly uh, disappointing, I guess, of, of kind of for us of how it ended up. You know, it's uh, something where, you know, we probably should have been better. But, you know, those things happen. The latest 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL, looks back on the long-running feud between the Raiders owner Al Davis and NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle and is available now at ESPN+. Plus. Check out the Jalen and Jacoby After Show podcast where the guys are joined by director Ken Rogers. Listen and subscribe to Jalen and Jacoby, the After Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Even with all that, Gordon, and to leave a situation like Boston where, you know, you know, you have a chance to compete, to go to the NBA finals, perhaps to win a championship, to be back in the conference finals, no matter whether the role might be a little less there, it could be more somewhere else. When you hit 30 years old and you, you're going to turn 31 during the season, you're also thinking about, I want a chance to win a championship. I've done a lot of individual things in the league. And Charlotte was a team, you know, I think you said going in, the goal is to get it back in the playoffs and you're on track to potentially do that. To still walk away from it, though, and know that's hard to recreate. It's hard to recreate a roster like that. Um, was that as difficult as any part of it of saying, I, I am, I went to Boston because I wanted a chance to play for championships and I'm going to decide to leave it a, a year sooner anyway than I would have to. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a really tough decision. You know, I, through everything that happened for me in Boston, it's something that I'll always remember playing at the Garden, playing for the Boston Celtics. I mean, that's something that you dream about as a kid, especially from Indiana with Larry Bird. Um, and I have nothing but, you know, positive things to say about my time in Boston. And although, like I said, it was, you know, frustrating and disappointing with how I think everything ended up, um, certainly with injuries playing a, a, a huge part of that. Um, it was an extremely difficult decision and, um, you know, leaving a place where I had built two, some great relationships with players, uh, with staff, um, you know, locally in the town that we lived in, uh, we had built some great relationships. My family was, was settled. Um, but I think it was, it was also something where I think, getting to go to a place where I could have a fresh start. Um, you know, like I said, going to a place where I felt like I could maximize who I was again as a basketball player, um, you know, try to help a young team get to that next level and continue to build uh, was, was something that I ultimately decided was what I wanted to do. But it was, you know, it definitely was not an easy decision. And I think – you know, everything was, I had to make that decision within like 24 hours almost. I mean, my wife will tell you, I was driving her nuts, like just constantly talk, trying to talk to her about it. And she's trying to keep the little kids in line. And I'm like trying to keep, keep me in line too with, with how I was. I mean, I was, it was, it was hard. It was rough, but ultimately, you know, I'm thrilled of where I am right now. I think people forget their, the relationship in Charlotte that uh, the regime is different front office, obviously coaches, uh, but Michael Jordan was the owner who signed you to that offer sheet when you were a restricted free agent in uh, Utah. And of course, Utah matched it and you stayed and, and went forward there. I always remember that negotiation on your rookie extension, Gordon, how close really you were relatively 
you and Derek Favors were both up for your rookie extensions and he hit a number. And, and I remember your agent, Mark Marlstein was negotiating with, uh, the, you know, the jazz and I mean, my gosh, it was, the number was, I mean, when we look at the numbers now, you just signed your second max contract in the league. Well, this is, well, this, well, this time is, you know, four years, one twenty. But at that time it was like a, you know, the extension was around, I want to remember like they were offering you like 46, 47, 48. I think you were maybe going to do it at like 53, 54 million. I think your max was like 60. It's all in that range. It wasn't a big difference. Negotiations fell apart. Then you become a restricted free agent. You go out and get a max sheet for 60 something million. And then I guess, and and now you're, you know, you, you match, but, but that relationship sort of stayed right in your head that, Hey, they, they did do that for me a bunch of years ago. No doubt. I always remember, you know, what MJ did for me and my career kind of believing in me back then and wanting for me to come to Charlotte to play for the Hornets, you know, way back then. So that was for sure in the back of my mind. Absolutely. Did you, did that, did not getting that rookie extension done in Utah and having to go out and restricted free agency, did that impact, like, did you ever let fully let go of that? In Utah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, man, it seems, seems like that was forever ago with, with everything that's taking place. But after, you know, being with them and making the runs that we made, that, that for sure was gone. The talk this year, Gordon, around the all-star game in Atlanta, I had Tobias Harris on the other day and I think he's a little bit in your situation, you know, would really love to make an Eastern conference all-star game be there. Certainly some of your peers around the league have been like, we don't think this is a good idea. We don't want to do this. I think I know where you stand on this, but what are your thoughts about in the middle of this? We're going to go to Atlanta. We're all going to be there for 24 hours. We're going to play this game and roll out of town. I mean, I think, I think it's, there's a lot that we're all going through here and the game seem like they're every other day playing back to backs, um, doing testing, the double testing at night, you know, I think it's something where, at least for me, it would be amazing to be named an all-star again, but certainly to be able to have, what is it, five or six days mm-hmm. with the family would also be pretty amazing. So, um, I mean, it's, it's a tough call by the league there. How far do you live from your team's facility now? How far of a drive is that when you're in Charlotte? So I'm like 20, 25 minutes. Which, which which really isn't bad compared to what it was, you know, in Boston, where it could be anywhere between 25 and an hour and 15. Based on I'm actually, I mean, for some of these other guys that are in bigger cities, what are they doing for this night testing? Are well, they all just driving back yeah, and forth? I've talked to guys in L.A. specifically, and I think they were either going to put a rule in or maybe they – I'm trying to keep up with all these protocols, uh, but – if you were a certain distance away, you could self-test at home. They could come, I think, pick up, pick it up from you. But you might be 25, 20 miles away in LA. Let's say 20 miles away in Charlotte might mean you could be there in 21 minutes. 20 right. miles away in Boston or LA might be 55 minutes, an hour each way. And so I think where the frustration is, and you could explain it with players, is I've got an off day, I'm home. I've got to come in even so if we don't have practice today or if we do have something in the morning, I got to go in and test then. And if we don't, well, I got to go in and test then and then drive back at night. So now, you know, that's what 90, you know, there and back. And then when you get there, you got to wait. 
I think that's what's exhausting guys because your days off don't really feel like days off sometimes, right? That's that's exactly right. And, you know, not to sound like it's, you know, the end of the world here, but certainly with the amount of time that you're already away from everybody, I mean, typically your practice, you have to basically schedule like 45 minutes before you can get into the building because we as players we got to go you have to do this rapid test and you have to basically sit in your car Mm -hmm. and wait for it's done it's supposed to be 30 minutes but sometimes you know it takes 40 minutes whatever so you got to give yourself like an extra 45 minutes to go in the morning and like you said on off days or quote-unquote off days you still got to come in and do the test um then drive home and then also come back at night and do a test you know we had we had a game the other day at one o'clock and game gets over, it's like 3.45 or something, and I'm walking out the door, and it's like, whoa, 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 we got a test from five, between 5 and 7. So it's like, do I sit here for another hour and 15 minutes at the arena, and not, like in my car, and not do anything? Or do I drive home 25 minutes, hang out for 30 minutes, then drive right back another 25 minutes, you know, then 25 more minutes home? Like, I mean, it's those types of things that do, they, they, they get exhausting. For sure. Um, we And speaking of the, the 1 o'clock games, that means that we also had to test the night before at 11. Right. So we had to come in at 11 p.m. at night, which for me, I'm way in bed by then. Um, but you got to come back at night at 11 and test. So it's there's all these different things that we're doing from a health and safety standpoint that make the season even longer. And the impact in talking to teams that it's had on – teams and team building in a perfect situation. You've got this young team in Charlotte and you might be able to spend time. You can go to dinner. You can talk to guys. You can talk through what's going on with him. You got a losing streak and you got a couple nights off somewhere and you might all go sit and talk. And and as a veteran, you might try to just settle a group down or get guys, all the things that go into a season. And that's been lost. And the growth that comes with teams has been lost. And it's funny, like your old team, the Jazz, you know, I've had a few teams and Mike Connolly and I talked about it, but I've had teams point to them and to the great start they've gotten off to is saying, hey, they're sort of built for this environment, which was no summer league, basically no off-season stuff, no training camp, that they've got that continuity and a talented team of having guys around and they're rolling where for a lot of other teams, you know, you like in Charlotte's a good, I think Charlotte's a good example of, and you guys have done well with it, but it's just not the normal stuff that would go into a team growing and trying to figure things out when young players, veterans like you coming into it. No, it it certainly makes everything difficult. I think also just like you mentioned, being able, you know, sometimes you're, you're on a couple of game losing streak and it's nice to like, go out to a restaurant with some teammates or with the whole team and relax a little bit, like de-stress a little bit, like just, you know, not think about the game while still hanging around each other. You find out, you know, more about each other's life or what they like to do or, um, you know, some of those things that, you know, even, even I've, I've been on some teams too, where you're able to do like team activities, you know, on the road. Um, and none of that, is possible anymore. And, and so it just, you, I feel like a lot of times guys are more isolated and when you're more isolated, now you're, you think you stress a little bit more, you're thinking more about mistakes or thinking about, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely hard to grow as a team. And like you mentioned, I mean, we had, 
um, for our team, when you have, you had myself, you had LaMelo, two, two guys that are, you know, key guys on the team that are going to be handling the ball. It's hard to, you know, grow as a team if you, you're thrown together within eight to 10 days and then don't get to really spend time with each other on or off the court. LaMelo's in a completely different locker room than all of us. You know, it's, it's, there's only six guys to the locker room or whatever, and you have to be, you know, spaced out. And, um, man, it's, it's, it definitely makes it difficult. What have you learned about LaMelo Ball that, I don't know, maybe surprised you or as you're playing with him, as you get to know him a little better? I mean, his growth has been tremendous here lately. He was incredible uh, again last night. But what have you learned about him you know, that maybe you weren't expecting necessarily coming into it? I think, you know, I've watched some highlights, but I think we like anybody who's watched some of his highlights, you know, you think like, especially when he was a little younger, you're like, he's not, does he really play like that? You know, like shooting from half court and <laughs> some of the different things that, that he does. Um, but for one, what surprised me was how tall he was. I mean, he's, he's a lot taller than I thought he was. Um, so he's got good size. Now he's, He's going to add some some muscle. Obviously, he's a little um, slight as it is right now, but that's because he's eighteen or nineteen or whatever he is. Um, and then also, just I guess his his feel for the game surprised me. Like it's so young, being able to like he's got he's got that like characteristic, like I'd say like a like a Luca or like a Russ, where it's like they seem to just have a knack for being in the right place at the right time um, to get rebounds to then kick it out for outlets or to push it up the court to make a play for somebody. Like he's got that same type of feel where he just is kind of around the ball or, or, or in the right places. Um, it certainly has been fun to play with and somebody that I think is going to continue to get better the more and more experience that he has playing with us, playing in the NBA. Um, you know, he is, he's exciting. And, um, you know, he's he, the thing, the other thing that I think is really cool about LaMelo is, he's always smiling when he's out there playing and when he's not, when he's on when he's off the court too, but he's got this good, like this great joy about him. It seems to be when he's playing and, and just, he's got this great energy about him. And so that's, that's been really good to see too. You know, it's funny you say that about his disposition. And I've talked to some coaches about this this year, even at the college level, a couple of guys talked to, but certainly in the NBA too, that you just said it, it is, it is mentally, this is a mentally taxing year and you're isolated, you're alone. And like, you know, sometimes you're dragging into the gym. You don't feel like there's no real outlets outside of the game. And to have somebody who comes in with that disposition, especially when they're playing that position um, and they've got the ball in their hands, do you notice it more this year? Because sometimes everybody's kind of, we're all doing it in our lives. We're just kind of moping around a little bit, um, waiting for this thing to be over. And here he comes in like, you know, it, 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 I got to believe it revs. It, it must impact the group. It's got to, you must feel it. Certainly. Certainly. He, he brings energy every day for us. And, um, you know, it's, it's like I said, man, it's fun to play basketball with him. Like he, he is a fun guy to play with. And, um, you know, I think he's, he's only going to get better too. One thing I wanted to ask you, Gordon was you said it, you're, you feel like you're almost playing every other day and, especially teams who had postponements, you're going to get into the second half of the year. They're jamming those games in. They want you to play the 72 games. Um, the all-star break is going to be short, whether you play in that all-star game or not. 
because I think some of the some of the guys who might play in the All Star game from teams who have maybe more than one All Star, you may not see them start until that next Friday. Some other teams might start on Wednesday, so there'll be different. You know, everyone will have a little time off, but. Do you worry that the quad, and I hear this a lot too from from executives, and we are really testing ourselves on the quality of play that um, we are asking so much of players. Certainly you worry about injuries in this, but can we keep putting a really good product out on the floor? Is the product, has it been diminished? Are we going to really risk it being further diminished because guys are exhausted. They're mentally exhausted. They're physically exhausted. I don't think fans want to accept that sometimes. They just, oh, you're playing basketball. You're getting paid. Come on. But it's a real thing. And I hear it talked about more and more. As a veteran, you've been in the league uh, over a decade. Is there something to that? Absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because yesterday we played and um, – I mean, I was exhausted, and I think I mentioned it to a couple of the guys before the game. We, we had played the night before. Um, you know, we're just the, – the stretch seems like, you know, you're every other day and then a back-to-back and then every other day. Um, and, you know, the team it, – it's actually interesting because that before the game, LaMelo and Terry were – they didn't go through uh, – Terry Rozier, they didn't go through – or walkthrough or shoot around. And so we were told before the game, they might not play. There was an issue with the tests. Something was going on. So we, and Devonte was hurt. Um, so we were basically going to play without a point guard um, and basically have to make it work at the same time. You know, the Rockets, Eric Gordon doesn't play. John Wall doesn't play. So, I mean, what is this? All of those guys, I would say the quality probably drops a little bit. Um, you know, no defense to me and any of the other players that would have played, but you're not getting everybody every night, certainly. Um, whether it's due to testing, whether it's due to fatigue, um, guys needing to rest, um, just being worn out in specific injuries that people have. Um, I think it's it's like a little give and take. Like we're 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 making it through this season, so you're cert- you're still getting basketball, but you might not get the full squad every night. And I think people kind of have to accept that as just that's how it is this year. Well, listen, the the Hornets, six in the East. You're only a game and a half behind your old team in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, I think it's been remarkable for your Charlotte team. And, you know, again, we went through your numbers, Gordon, and, and, and really one of your best seasons. And there's a few categories where there's just a group of players when you look at uh, percentages where it's you and Steph Curry, Paul George, and there's a few categories like that this year where you're, you know, in that rarefied air and and as we said, a, a real legitimate Eastern Conference All Star candidate. And of course, like I said, I do think catching one of those Lamelo lobs might seal your <laughs> might seal for you. So I know you guys will work on that. But uh, listen, it's good to catch up with you, Gordon. Uh, stay safe, and uh, you know, hopefully. Uh, one of these days, I'll see you in an arena again somewhere. Right. It's good to talk to you on Zoom, but hopefully we can do the next interview, you know, face-to-face. Yeah. Let's go buy go buy that house. Go buy another house in San Diego, <laughs> Gordon. We'll do it back out there. It's, um, but uh, no, good good catching up, and, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Woj. See you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, Charlotte Hornets forward, Gordon Hayward.
Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure also to listen to the Low Post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.